This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. We can reshape our attitude towards mental health issues, break the stigma that surrounds mental illness, and give everyday people practical skills to help them navigate society. There are many false notions surrounding therapy. People think it won't help them and often believe it is only for crazy people. Therapy is an art just as much as it is a science, a dance between the two. Seeing a therapist simply means you have an unbiased person in your life to help you as you proceed on your journey a professional clinician sitting with you and assisting you along your healing path. Prioritizing mental health has never been more important than it is today. You can connect with yourself and start working on some area of your mental health because you matter. This is Caitlin's vision and mission. Valeria interviews Caitlin Keneally. She is the author of Healing is Messy AF, a workbook about investing in yourself and addressing your mental health. Winner of numerous awards, including Woman of Achievement 2022, Global Icon 2022, Young Professional of the Year 2021, Brains Magazine 500 Globalist 2021, She Row 2021, and Woman of Vision and Courage 2012 to 2013. Caitlin Keneally is a licensed professional counselor, LPC, and holds degrees in history and women's studies, gender and women's studies, and counseling, community and mental health. As a psychotherapist, she specializes in trauma and PTSD, domestic violence, sexual abuse, anxiety, depression, and self-esteem. Caitlin is direct, solution-focused, and passionate about removing barriers to getting individuals and families the services they need. In addition to her private practice, Caitlin is proactively involved with many mental health services and outreach programs. Her podcast, Tea Time with the Psychos, aims to break the stigma surrounding mental illness. Caitlin has also written her first book titled Healing is Messy AF. Meet Caitlin at KeneallyCounseling.com. Here's the interview with Caitlin Keneally. In your own words, who is Caitlin Keneally? Um, who I am as a person? Wow, that's a it's a really powerful question. Um, who I want to show up as um, is I try to be as authentic as possible. I try to show up as myself. Um, I treat people the way that I would want to be treated. So I think I always try to show up um, with empathy and compassion, um, and understanding. Um, I take a definitely a trauma informed approach. Um, and 
I, I think that that kind of, and then also with that, I think I like to add a little bit of a flair to it. Um, so I would also say I'm a little spunky. Um, mm-hmm. I'm assertive. I'm direct. Um, so I can uh, balance those things out, <laughs> um, I would say. So in a nutshell, that's how I would describe myself. That's fascinating because listening to you, the way you speak of yourself and your book, when I, I think about <laughs> the book, it's fun, it's playful. So that's a mirror, that's a reflection of you. That's interesting yes. to see. Very wonderful. So another open question for you, sure. Caitlin, is mental health. How do you define mental health? What is to be mentally healthy? Ooh, okay. How do I define mental health? Well, I would start with, I think, well, we all have mental health, right? Um, And sometimes, uh, because I look at mental health on a spectrum. So with that spectrum, I would, I try to figure out where someone is on it. Oftentimes, you know, my regular job is as a psychotherapist. Um, And so by the time somebody's getting to me, their symptoms are high, right? So we might see high levels of anxiety, high levels of depression, Uh, PTSD, all of those things. Um, But to me, what I think mental health is and where we should be going is taking more of a preventative approach. (laughs) Um, So, and actually healing the the whole person. So whether that's through physical health, um, emotional, you know, psychological, um, and all of those different things, because there's so many different components that make up mental health. Um, And we all have areas that we're doing well in, and then we all have have areas that we could improve upon. Um, so to me, mental health is seen on a spectrum. Um, and by the time somebody's getting to me, I'm, I, I'm figuring out where they are on that spectrum and then trying to help them navigate um, not just the psychological piece of mental health, but the whole. So, you know, the physical and all those other pieces too. With that in mind, a question that comes to me is, is that possible to... From my own experience, I have been doing a lot of, I do a lot of experiments myself. (laughs) (laughs) Is that possible to actually be at peace, like mentally, be at peace with the conditions of the body and mind? Um, I wonder if that is uh, something that you have thought about it or experienced to yourself, where you are at peace in um, a state of acceptance when uh, things are going, let's say, they are out of balance the body, Absolutely. Yeah. the people. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's the core of all of it. When it comes down to mental health, I mean, truthfully, having a regulated nervous system is going to be able to help you balance any situation. And so to me, that's what healing is. And that's what is what um, getting people back to that kind of that equilibrium that they're not sure that, that they don't even know how to get back to. So I really try to teach people to go inside instead of outside. So soul versus ego, you know, and that's a complete reversal of everything that we've been taught. And so I think the goal of healing is to have everybody at, uh, to have everybody's nervous system regulated, stabilized, and then make decisions based off of that. Um, because no matter what, life is always going to throw something at you. And so why not be more regulated and go after it than unregulated and then um, try to go after it and then um, not necessarily succeed in the way that you had hoped for? Right. I love Mm -hmm. to hear that from you because when I experienced all the traumas that I have experienced in childhood and adulthood, I mean, all all around my Mm -hmm. life, I always reached out to um, the spiritual teachings that would lead me to a 
kind of a peaceful state of being. Um, and then I avoided, of course, because I, that helped me <laughs> yeah. so much. I avoided therapy, yeah. but I could I could have used that a lot. Believe me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think, and but I think that that's a neat part of your story, and I think it's important to know that talk therapy is not going to be for everybody. But there's so many different modalities that are out there, and it's your journey. And I think we have to be open to that more um, and be uh, validating that and encouraging that for people to find what their journey is because truthfully you're the only one who knows the answer <laughs> mm, i love that caitlin yeah and so i think said. i think it's yeah. i think it's excellent yeah i love that <laughs> the confirmation mm -hmm. in a way yeah <laughs> you just talked for a moment briefly you mentioned the soul and ego what is your idea of spirituality do you have any spiritual mm. practices belief systems views oh yeah, I love that you're bringing this up because I'm really um, working on shifting my practice um, it, into more of the metaphysical and those different types of things. Uh, Louise Hay has been foundational in my healing journey. Um, and I've been recently on another journey of doing like shadow work and these other things. Um, so I've always been open to it. In fact, I very, very much enjoy it. And so I'm hoping to move towards that, um, especially within this now next year. Um, I try to integrate it if the client is open to it. And so to me, I really try to focus on, um, I don't hate on the ego. I want to focus on how do we integrate the ego because that's the shadow. And so like last night I did um, my shadow work class. It was three and a half hours. Um, but it was really neat because she, uh, they talked about, you know, the goal, they called it, or what was it? Carl Jung called it the golden ego or the golden shadow and how there's gold in there. We just have to integrate it. Um, so, you know, when people are coming to me, I'm really trying to figure out, um, okay, well, that seems like you're searching for something outside of you. What can we search for inside, right? Because that would be soul. And then how do we integrate what's out there? And people can really grasp that concept when you break it down in that way. It feels like this is uh, the beginning of this era of merging science and spirituality. Oh, I love it. Right? I have seen this so much more now. I talked to a lot of therapists and scientists. And when I mentioned these spiritual teachings that I have learned, they all agree. We all come to the same conclusion in a way, if there is one, the same message, like universal message. Absolutely. Because I don't think, you know, we've been trained in this one way thinking, but healing is not linear and we need to open that up. And that's where, you know, I have patients, you know, we'll talk about these things and then maybe they, they don't want medication. I'm totally cool with that. I can't even prescribe it. I'm like, okay, let's do all these other things, but also let's not rule it out if it's going to help in the short term, you know, because I look at medication as it can help you, but it's not going to heal the wound. So it may help with other symptoms and things that are going on, but let's go to the inn and let's figure out what that wound is so we can work together to heal that. So I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's an integration of all of it. And I hope more people are moving towards that because then you're truly treating the patient. 
And um, that's what we took an oath to do that, right? We took an oath to do no harm. And so to me, I think it's really imperative that we are able to have a spectrum of opportunities for patients and see what fits them um, and not tell them what fits them. Yes. Wow. I love Mm -hmm. that, Caitlin. What Mm -hmm. a beautiful approach and way of thinking uh, Mm -hmm. coming from you, the scientist of the mind. Right. I love that. What are some of the misconceptions we have about therapy that you can think of? Oh, well, the misconceptions. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the biggest barrier that that we continue to come up on is the stigma and what it actually is. And I think that until that is broken, you know, that's going to be a huge obstacle. And then it comes down to insurance and payment and then the diagnosis, you know, all of the the things that people are afraid of and that I don't necessarily think treat the person. So I think that that's where I'm kind of at this uh, fork in the road with where I want to go with my healing journey and the people that I work with is because I don't think that um, some of the systems in play are actually working to heal the person. And that's what I would like to do. So I think the systemic effects of how our current insurance companies work um, and how, uh, how we treat therapy and how it's talked about are the biggest obstacles. And speaking mm-hmm. of your healing journey and what you do today, talk to me for a moment about that. And how did you become a psychotherapist? Oh, all right. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, when I originally started college, I wanted to be an actress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Um, so that I, that clearly didn't pan out for me. Um, but then, honestly, I, fr- I took my first gender and women's studies class, and it changed the trajectory of my college career. So I my undergrads in history with a minor in women's studies. Then I went and got my first master's degree in gender and women's studies. And then I worked as an academic advisor for about two and a half years. And I just felt like everything I was doing was counseling, right? So you've got these kids or these college kids coming to you and they're like, I want to drop this class. But then you learn it's not really about the class. It's all this stuff that they have going on at home. And I was really, really good at solving those problems. And then I was like, oh, well, why don't I get a second master's degree in community and mental health counseling? And then once I did that, then it was like, wow, I'm this, this fits, it fits my, I was listening to my intuition, right? My soul. And like, it feels right. Um, And so, but the thing with that is what I tell people is I didn't take a traditional route to get to where I am. And I don't regret it whatsoever because that first master's degree in gender and women's studies is foundational in every single thing that I do. Uh, And so it's not even so much the counseling degree. It's really when I go back and I think about things and how I interact and why, you know, um, I have the ideologies and the way I look at things and the way I talk to people is really from that first one. So um, I think it was gender and women's studies. And I think that, right. And then I, look back and I'm like, well, that's the class that changed my trajectory as well. So I think it's those moments that really actually led me to here, but I had no clear path to it. 
But once I got into it, because I, I'm always really good at listening to myself. All right, Caitlin. And, then tr- and although it's scary, I, I just continually, you know, put one foot in front of the other and knowing that I can't see the next step, but trusting that I'm fully supported. And I would say that that and those pieces have been foundational and have what led me to where I am, I am right now. And then right now, as I'm at that fork in the road, those are the pieces that I'm trying to trust as I take these next steps. I love that. I love the trust mm-hmm. components because that's something that I has been almost a year now that I've been okay. going deeper into it, trusting myself and whatever happens instead of going out there and, and looking for the answers, I just go within and yes. it's, it and feels it's so scary. Much yeah, it is, Caitlin. Yeah, it and is I don't scary. even want to downplay that because, you know, when you say it, oh, just trust yourself. Um, but then I also think coming from, um, you know, a trauma background on a personal level, it's hard to trust yourself because you can't right? Um, and so, uh, you know, I really um, just have to take that time and listen to myself. Um, and typically things work out when I follow that. You know, I always try to stay in the light. I'm trying to do good. Um, and so I, I think a lot about my energy and where I put that um, and that vibration. And when I when those things align, um, I can make magic. I was about to ask you two questions already here and you answered them before. So oh. it's interesting how it's very intuitive. Yeah, <laughs> that's your intuition. Being part of the conversation, it's wonderful to know. And mm-hmm. it's so true about not trusting ourselves. That took me so long and it's still kind of this dense. Well, today it's a lot more established, that trust mm-hmm. within. But it took a long time, many, <laughs> a lot of well, suffering I, to get here. Oh my goodness, I know. And so this that's where I think this shadow work series that I've been doing and all of that, you know, turning that pain into power and really trying to reframe some of those statements and looking at the wound. And, you know, um, so that's been powerful for me. And again, it doesn't mean that the negative, it's heavy, I'm scared, but I do it scared. I do it anxious. I do it depressed. You know what I mean? I'm always still doing. Um, And so eventually, I think that that's kind of an ingredient too, is that something is going to come out of it if you just keep going. So Mm, Yeah, in a sense, it's uh, being present to what is present, right? Not to run, escape from it and be here. Yeah, I love that message too. So I have a, a few more open questions, uh, way too many, but before we talk about your book, let me ask okay. you this one. What do you feel is the purpose of the human experience? Mm. Um, I think it's to, uh, to be honest and transparent, I think it's for our soul to evolve. I think we're here to learn lessons um, and just evolve as a person and, you know, bring the light. I think we're drenched in darkness. I think this, you know, COVID, um, we're going, we're still like going through the collective trauma of what that is um, and all of those things. And so I definitely feel there's a purpose and there's, we need to be connected connected and unity. And right now there's such divide and such division um, that sometimes that can feel very daunting. But I think that that's what we're here to do is spread love and connect and be human and just be transparent with one another, heal together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah. we, all of us can have a better outcome. So that that's kind of how I would answer that one. The title of your book is Healing is Messy 
AF. It is. <laughs> a, a workbook about investing in yourself and addressing your mental health. Mm-hmm. So what was the main intention of writing your book? Well, um, this, I started and stopped a bunch of times. And, you know, then I finally took a course and uh, with somebody that, you know, I really looked up to, I got to see this lady speak and I took her course and um, she used an analogy of the tree trunk. You're always going to have a bunch of book ideas. Those are your branches. But so what is the tree trunk? And with everything going on in the world, it just felt like, okay, you know, I was looking at um, the issues that I was encountering in therapy. And I'm just like, you write my chapter one is barriers to therapy (laughs) and then different mental health topics. And I wanted to take these concepts and break them down into bite-sized manageable concepts that you could, or that the reader could um, digest at home. And the reason I think that's important is because again, in order to break the stigma, we have to make therapy appealing and manageable and bite-sized, right? Like people come into my office and they're not, they don't cognitive behavioral therapy. They're not trained in that. They just want to know how I can give them tools to be effective, right? So I just, you know, when I originally wrote the workbook, um, it, it didn't have any of me in it. And then I thought, you know what, that's not being authentic to myself. And I don't think that that's fair to the reader. So that's why I wanted to dab just a little bit because I didn't want to make it about me but like put in a little bit of my personal story, my clinical story, and then put patient story in there. And then it really molded together and it came alive and I just felt good about it. And to me, this is my first book, my first workbook, I should say. And this is the appetizer because each chapter of that workbook, I'm going to turn into a book. Does that make sense? So I started with the tree trunk because I'm very visual. So that's what I did. But then moving forward, I'm going to nourish the branches, which are those chapters, and then create off of that. So that was kind of the intent behind it. And that's what I went with. Yeah, it's beautiful. As I said, off record. Thank you. Thank you. It's truly beautiful to see human beings doing this work of healing, healing themselves and healing others. As you said, healing collectively, just coming together with the intention to grow because what else is we here to do? It doesn't make sense to me to just go through cycles of suffering and pain. Yeah, absolutely. And then like, how I can't, like how many times I hear the same stories over and over. And that's why each chapter is the chapter that it is, is because that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm dealing with. And the more we can put that out there, that the, that you're not alone. Look, me, I'm not, I'm, I'm a part of it, right? Um, I've had those same experiences. I'm just sitting in a different seat now, but that doesn't make me any better than anybody else. And in fact, it makes us all connected even further. And so that's my hope or that's kind of, another intention behind the book is to realize that we are all in this together, no matter what seat we're sitting at. Right. Uh, That's another powerful message (laughs) to be reminded (laughs) of and to know. You also host a podcast called Tea Time with the Cycle. (laughs) That's funny the way you say that. (laughs) 
Talk to me about that, the podcast. Okay, yes, absolutely. So um, Liz is one of my really good friends on a personal level. And then on a professional level, um, we work with each other. Uh, she loved podcasts. And she was like, Caitlin, I want to make one with you. I'm like, okay, sounds good. Um, so, uh, you know, I wasn't really into them. And it just was something. Um, we like to drink tea together. And then I get frustrated. Like, people... People will break. I used to get frustrated, I would say, because people would just say, oh, well, you're a psycho because a psychotherapist. And I was like, well, that's rude. And so I thought, how can I flip the script on that? And I was like, well, what about tea time with the psychos? So now I took a negative and kind of turned it into a positive and people love it. So we talk about different mental health issues and other fun things. So um, it's really cool. I didn't think anybody would listen. Like, I'm serious. I was like, okay, but people <laughs> listen. And we've gotten so many referrals and all these different things. Um, and it's also really enhanced my practice in the sense that, you know, I can tell somebody like, okay, session is about to end here. But hey, I Liz and I have um, a podcast on this, your homework would be to listen to that if you can do that. And then we can come back and process the next time around. So it's actually helped in a lot of different arenas that I had no idea it would because I truthfully didn't think anybody would listen. So <laughs> so that's truthfully how it started and yeah. um, what it has evolved into. And um, it's been great because we've reached so many different audiences um, and we get to have fun kind of doing it. I also think like a lot of times in our life, like how often do you kind of get to work with like your best friend and make effective changes, heal people. So it's sort of this beautiful combination um, of a time in our life that I have no idea how long that will last. So um, I like to hold on to that. I keep going back to, uh, I mean, it's not leaving me the message of turning pain into power, as you said. I have heard turning pain into purpose, which is another P. But that is so true because that's what true power is, isn't it, Caitlin? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm very into like Harry Potter and <laughs> all those other <laughs> yeah. fun things like that. Um, and when I think back and I'm like, why do I find this stuff magical or why do I like it? And the things that I'm doing, you know, um, it's it's because I, and why I'm so empathetic and why the approach that I take is because I've been on the other side of it. And I think, honestly, I show up as the person that I wish I would have had show up for me. Um, and so uh, because I know what it feels like, although most of the time I wish I didn't, yeah, <laughs> um, right. I try to, you know, you if you alchemize the energy instead of fighting the energy, you can utilize it. Um, and so that's what I try to do. And you know what? A lot of the time I'm really good at it. Some of the time I'm not. And, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm bad at it. But that's okay, too, because it's just kind of going back to it. Um, and I think another piece with the pain into power is I let for a really long time, I let the pain rule me. You know, I allowed it to take over to the point of where, I mean, I was suicidal. I didn't even want to live. You know, I briefly talk about that in the book. I mean, I was turning to drugs and alcohol. I, you know, I didn't see a way out. And I think I know 
that 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 piece of me and that girl in me, she's still there, but it scares the crap out of me now. So I had to go all the way down and I almost didn't make it out. And so now I just want to make it out and I don't want to be defined by pain. I want to turn it into something that's powerful. Mm, and you did and you are doing exactly that. Yeah, hopefully. I'm trying. <laughs> you are doing it. Um you're passing that on, which is, um, that's a new legacy. We need that. And yeah. the legacy of um, trauma, collective trauma, personal trauma, to just perpetuate human experience. That's so beautiful yeah. to see. You say in your book, understanding trauma is imperative to understanding yourself and others. How do we learn to, those who have learned already to understand, to know what trauma is uh, by studying mm -hmm. the symptoms, by going within and doing the healing work. How do we learn to pass that on to people, our family members who still believe that all the pain that they are holding on to mm. that came from trauma is just the way they are? It's just mm. how it's supposed to be. I love the question. And I think that a lot of us struggle with that. And what I'm going to say is the best thing you can do is lead by example, because we know we can't change anybody. In fact, the only person we can change is ourselves. And so to me, when you are out there embodying and living that healing and not being defined by it, people are going to be right. The light is going to upset the dark. But eventually, if once they know that you're genuine and not right, like once they maybe feel like they want some of that, when they're ready, guess who they're going to come to because they've seen it. So to me, that's what I always try to remember because trust me, I want to mm -hmm. save every, like, right? Like <laughs> truthfully, I'm like yeah. in the field of, you know, uh, working with people to make them healthier and like, you know, all of these things. And so I want nothing but the best for them. But I can't tell you that how many times I've had to learn and I'm still learning. I can't want it more than them that you can only lead them and guide them and teach them. And then you're going to have to trust that they're going to be able to utilize the tools. And if none of that works, then to me, I want to lead by example and I'm not going to judge and I'm not going to do those other things. But I know in my soul that when they're ready, I would be the first person or maybe the top five, right? Um, that they would come to. And to me, that's the solace that I need, you know? And um, that's what I try to stay within. So um, I don't, what I would say is doing you and working on you and shining your light and embodying that would be your best bet. And when they're ready, they'll come around. That very much it resonates true again to the heart mm -hmm. because it's a place mm -hmm. of love and kindness. Yes, it resonates true. Another question that comes to me from what you just said about being ready. What makes us ready to heal? Mm. <laughs> well, that is the million dollar right? question. Um, you know, we're all unique and we are all different. And to me, I call it your light bulb moment or your, your epiphany. And honestly, I think that's the beauty in it is we don't know. And I don't think we're supposed to because the only person that knows is themselves. 
But what I would say is, you know, I think this is why, you know, we have assessments or we have these different scales that are out there and being like, okay, well, you know, you might want to go talk to somebody about that, you know, when people are experiencing symptoms and, and those different things. But truthfully, you are the one who's going to know and hopefully you've built your community, whatever that is, your friends, your family, like around you, that support system. That's why I think your social support network is so important. And it's really important to think about like, if you are like the f- top five people you're hanging out with, I'd encourage you to look around who you're hanging out with, right? So when and if something happens, are those truthfully your people? And so that's kind of how I would answer that one. It's it, it, Everybody's is going to be different. And I think that that's the beauty in all of it because we've all been created to be different yet that doesn't mean that we're supposed to fight amongst each other it's supposed to connect us because um we are all connected right already mm-hmm. <laughs> yes <Yeah. laughs> that's another powerful message um answering itself when we are open enough to say that we don't know. Absolutely. But if we took more of a preventative approach to healing, maybe we would know more. You know what I mean? Because we wouldn't be sifting through all these different traumas that affect different people, all these different wounds, because we'd all be kind of on the same playing field. And so truthfully, I think we may have answers if we move into that direction. There's another area, another section in your book that caught my attention where you talk about trauma responses mm-hmm. Then you have flight, freeze, and flop. <laughs> the flop <laughs> one, I mean, it, was, it made that up. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be fawn, um, but... <laughs> but uh, we interchange it. It was kind of a joke, but um, yes, it's it's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. But sometimes fawn can ref- be referred to as flop. <laughs> okay, so thank you for the clarification. That what caught my attention was that throughout the my the trauma journey that I had been or have been on, I see that I just went from one to another, right? The the anger and then anxiety and then, then depression. And then I still feel like I am within the realm of the flop. (laughs) People pleasing, (laughs) very bad boundaries, still working on them. Mm. Does it ever end? Do we ever (laughs) become healed from all those traumas? Yeah, for sure. And so when we talk about the, or when I talk about the trauma responses, I always like to use an analogy, okay? So if your trauma response is fight and you're a tiger, you're going to fight the other tiger. If it's flight, you're going to run from the other tiger. If it's freeze, you're going to freeze in front of the tiger. And if it's fawn or flop, as I kind of like to say, you're going to try to convince the other tiger not to eat you. Okay, so the fawn response is that people pleasing and those different types of things. Now, when it comes to your trauma response, you may not respond the same way to every single trauma or situation. So it's okay that it again, I look at it like it's on a spectrum, but I think it's important to know what your general response is. So mine is flight. I am like, I'll see you later. No, thank you. I don't want that like it's just that's my natural response um to most situations but that will change over time and will it lessen over time i think it can when you know yourself more 
when you've processed those other wounds, right, and alchemized them or turned them maybe a little bit more into power or just let them sit because you get to decide. And then moving forward, because again, situations are always going to happen. So I naturally now know that my first instinct is to flight. However, when a situation comes to me or I'm presented with an obstacle, now that I know it, can I maneuver a different one or how do I want to show up? Does that make sense? So I think the more you work on yourself and you look through and process through how you've responded to situations uh, will help you in the future. Um, But also I think that these responses are a protection mechanism, right? And so I think they're going to be there and on some level maybe a little needed since we live in such a trauma-filled environment. Um, And so until that lessens, we're going to need these things. Now, if we can move more to a preventative approach and it's less, I would say I would hope that they would go away because the they wouldn't be needed. Does that ah, make sense? Yes, it does. I love that. So defense mechanisms right. are created. Mm. It's, it's a defense mm. mechanism against something that is happening um, and sometimes needed, but not in the way that um, our culture uh, and what we currently live in um, has perpetuated. Wow, that's uh, that's very refreshing to hear in a, in a yeah. sad way, perhaps, <laughs> right? That we are uh, still responding to trauma because we need to, in a way, coming yes. from survival yep. mechanism, right? Absolutely. Like, that's the reptilian part of your brain. That's the different part of your brain. That's not the one that we're supposed to be operating on all of the time, right? right. So yes, if we can reduce some of those pieces, I think some of these responses would ultimately um, diminish or they wouldn't be as activated as often. I know you gave a whole chapter to anxiety and you mentioned that it's because that's a common, very common disorder. So Mm -hmm. talk to me for a moment about anxiety and why do we fall for it? In a sense, that's a flight response. Mm. It seems like that's Mm -hmm. the the biggest one for most of us. In my case, it's it's the flop one, the phone. (laughs) People pleasing, saying that. I like it. Yeah, it's been that one. (laughs) That response is very common. So... (laughs) Oh, it is common too. Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) all the time, all the time. So I hear that one a lot. So don't, but you're not definitely not alone in that. Okay, that's good. (laughs) Anxiety, (laughs) of course, has been one of my. Ah, yeah, it was is a big one too. Just this uh, worry and anxious about everything. I love the um, the sections in your book about anxiety because you talk about the um, symptoms, anxiety management, and also what triggers anxiety. Yeah. So in, I love the breathing technique you have there, there because it's one that I use all the time. I love yes. breathing yes. exercise. Good, good. I know people forget like about breathing. I'm like, okay. Let, um, so when it comes to anxiety, that's something that I personally have struggled with um, for a lifetime, it feels like. Um, and a lot of people that I deal with, obviously, because then I specialize in it. So I hear about it a lot. Um, and I, again, try not, try not to get caught up on labels. I like to say, you know, it sounds like these are symptoms of anxiety, right? These are symptoms of depression um, or looking at the label as just an umbrella. Okay, that falls under that anxiety umbrella but let's look at your symptoms and let's go from there. I mean, truthfully, if we were living in a healthy environment, I don't think we would be this anxious. Um, You know, I don't. So I think, you know, the symptoms and the disorder, if you will say, comes from not feeling safe. 
and not feeling in control. And why is that? And it's often been because environments that we've been in haven't been conducive for our nervous system, right? So remember, trauma is anything that dysregulates your nervous system. That's the thing I want to teach people. And so think about that as adults now, how many times our nervous system becomes unregulated. But now let's go even further back. How many times, like looking back, if you grew up in a traumatic environment, how often your nervous system was dysregulated? And right, when we what we know about emotions is we trap emotions in our body. And so if we never got to process those things, we grew up in trauma, where did they go? They didn't just disappear. They went inside. And just because we physically can't see that, um, right? I can't necessarily, but guess what? It's going to come out in symptoms. So I truthfully feel that disorders are partially due to the environments that we've been living in. Um, and these emotions need to come out. And that's the only way it can because they're trapped within our body. Wow. That's, um, I never heard it that way. That's so oh, okay. refreshing, right? Yeah. The environment that we are in, it's just perpetuating these symptoms so these triggers so we are always in absolutely the protective mode well think about like an animal if an animal is caged 24 7 and is around let's say an unhealthy environment when that animal gets let out of the cage and it needs to go function in a dog park or something fun what is the, they're going to be nervous right because they were never soothed because their nervous system was unregulated. And I, you know, and so how is that any different? That, like, how are we any different from that? If we're in this environment where our body is not safe, we're not, we can't express it. We don't even have the words, right? It's confusing. We internalize it and it goes somewhere and it gets trapped in the body. So we're almost at the end. Oh my God, okay. I have a lot of other notes about ah, you. Okay. <laughs> your book, you so many oh, others. Sure. There'll be part two one of these okay. days, perhaps. Yeah. But for now, I wanted also to mention that uh, another section that really caught my attention in a powerful way is that when you talk about sexual assault, you write um, another powerful message. You say, if preventing sexual assault is the responsibility of the victim, why do we even bother with sex education? That was a question. And then you have, dear students, and then you, you write a letter. I mean, you just talk to them. Yeah, do you have that in front of you? I would love for you to hear that section. I can pull it up on my computer. How about that? Yes, please, please. Yeah. So, oh, I don't know where it just went. Oh, so, um, dear students, the majority of you will be assaulted at some point in your lifetime. Also, it will be your fault when it happens to you. God and the world will punish you for not protecting yourself better. If you decide to disclose what happened to you, the system will fail you and leave you feeling even more traumatized. The trauma will deepen and you will continue to feel as if it is your fault. You won't be supported. In fact, you will be told to get over it. You are an object, so just be submissive, sit with your legs closed, listen, do not speak, and just feel grateful for what you are given. I wonder if that's not just with women, that if some men, they feel the same way. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I, I agree with that. And I listen, I talk about incest and I hear a lot of different things. Um, and so males are also on this journey, but we live in this culture of toxic masculinity, right? Um, and so we need to be supportive of them as well. Um, but until that comes around to the table, I'm going to support who I have in front of my face and the 
even be open um, to those other people once they come in, once I can step into that arena as well. But, you know, the whole system and how we go about it is backwards. Why do I have to, you know, why, why do we have to keep protecting ourselves? Why are we creating nail polish to put in drinks um, so that we don't get drugged at a bar? Why do we have to walk in pairs? You know what I mean? Um, and then I look at, you know, especially I think about like, um, what's just happening, uh, in social media and all these things and how women are just objectified, um, and, uh, how mental health is still used as a weapon. I mean, look at Britney Spears, uh, look at what Mariah Carey just came out with. They did a clip on her book talking about how her family tried to do a conservatorship on her as well. You know what I mean? Um, and so are those same things happening to men? Potentially, um, but I still feel that it's happening to women um, quite a bit more. Unfortunately, I agree. So thank you for this way of educating and yeah. creating awareness around these very important topics. In your book, you also create awareness around suicide. So mm -hmm. that's really well done there too. And I love thank the you. message about self-care where mm -hmm. you title actually self-care, we need to feel to heal. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's the, actually the title of this episode. I, I just oh. love that. <laughs> oh, yes. Even better. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then you also say self-care is loving and respecting yourself enough to prioritize your own well-being. Absolutely. That mm -hmm. just kind of stopped me. Oh, good. Well, it's such this concept of like everyone is self-care is selfish. I was like, whoever created that is has done <laughs> a disservice to every human possible. So it's important that it's actually the best service you could do for yourself, because how can you truly give and take care of other people if you don't know how or you're not taking care of yourself? So it's the most selfless thing that I think you can do. What do you love most about being in a human body? Ooh, what do I love most about being in the human body? You know, I think I rejected my body for so long because I think it's been violated, right? I don't think I, I think I was perpetuating, you know, that narrative of letting the trauma or the pain define me. And since shifting that um, and stepping into and still trying to figure out who I am and what I like and, you know, who, you know, what my body feels like like, um, what I would say is I look at myself as art and through how I want to express that art. Um, and so I like my body. It's curvy. It, you know, I say in the book, I'm well-developed and well-nourished, you know, um, I'm not out there trying to compare my body to other people. Um, I like what I have, obviously it could be improved upon in areas. Right. But like, um, I really try to take that, that approach. And so I think I, um, I feel confident within myself, um, because I practice and I work on myself every day. Mm, yes. Um, mm -hmm. My God, I love your wisdom. <laughs> and, and how present you are and to your own truth. Yeah. It's really yeah. beautiful. So my last question is, what is another word for life? What comes to mind? Mm, another word for life. The first thing that popped into my head was existence. And... I just think again, so existence popped in connectedness and just love. And so uh, that is, that is what I would say yeah. that it, yep. That's what I'm going to leave it as. I'm not going to fluff it up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's all very I got true. for you. 
<laughs> it's very direct okay. uh, and beautiful. I have to say the word beautiful all the time because it is, mm-hmm. I mean, it just comes to me. I don't have an uh, appropriate word to use when it comes to wisdom. So um, before we say goodbye, I want to thank you again, Caitlin, for this beautiful presence of being you. Just um, you're a lot of fun in a very deep way, in sincere way. It's wonderful to just to be here and let you just dance your own truth. It's incredibly rewarding for me to do this. I appreciate it. You know, normally I'm on the other side of it. So I'm like, ooh, I get to talk? Okay. Um, I like it. So it feels good to me. Before we say goodbye for today, where can we find more information about you, your books, services, your podcast, future projects? Oh, yeah. So Tea Time with the Psychos. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. So just Google Tea Time with the Psychos. Um, Keneally Counseling is my private practice. That's just my regular website. um, And that will lead you to all the things. Um, Amazon, you can find my book on Amazon or otherwise through my website as well. If you order it through me, then I send you a signed copy. So, yeah. Wonderful. I will have those links, some of these links on your podcast profile as well. Yep. Yep. Thank you so much again, Caitlin, for your presence. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now, my dear. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Caitlin Keneally and her work, please visit KeneallyCounseling.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.